Hi, everybody. I'm Wendy Murdoch, and this is Webinars with Wendy. I've been doing a series of webinars during the pandemic to learn something, keep me occupied, and it turns out keep me quite busy. Um, this is webinar number 172, and we're coming up on a year of my being off the road. I came off the road the second week in March. I think I started doing the webinars around that time. I'll have to go back and look. But it's been really amazing, and I've had fascinating guests, so it's just been just really wonderful to, to be doing these. Um, just remember that today is week five of the five-week contest. I'll be drawing the winner at the end of Alicia's webinar. And um, then week six, we'll let you know whether or not you have entered all five weeks. And if not, you'll go back and, and we're going to try and make that a little bit simpler because it's a lot of work for Alex, my assistant, to keep track of everybody. But we do have a list. Um, and we'll get make sure that everybody that wants to be in the grand prize drawing for the full set of pads is in. So stay tuned for that. We'll be posting something on Sunday, um, but today we're gonna draw for week five at the end of the show. So um, today my guest is Alicia Harlov and she's back. Um, everybody loved her webinar last time and she is the, um, I don't, author isn't the right word. What are you, uh, creator of the Humble Hoof podcast? Yeah, I guess producer, editor. Producer, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, welcome, Alicia. Thank you so much for coming back. Yeah. Thank you for having me. It was a lot of fun last time. And I was just telling someone that I felt like I, I said all of the things that I know in the last, <laughs> last webinar. I was like, oh man, what else do I know that I can actually tell people? Yeah. Um, well, you know, it's, it's so, what I find is that when we hear it different ways, it, it starts to lock in. So, um, you know, I've had a lot of hoof care people on the show which is fantastic. And everybody has a little different perspective, but it just makes it a richer picture, a richer image and understanding. So, you know, it's just great to have you. So thanks for coming back. Oh yeah, of course. And I've loved watching your other ones with Daisy Picking and Dr. Bowker. And it's been really cool to learn from these too. So thank you for doing them. Oh yeah, it's really fun. So Alicia, for those who don't know you, can you just give us a brief, uh, you know, bio kind of how you wound up doing what you're doing? Yeah. Uh, so the shortest version I can make it is I was an elementary school music teacher who had a lame horse that was diagnosed with a navicular and I wanted to figure out how to help him. So I uh, started taking over his hoof care myself with um, the help of some amazing farriers in my area and support of um, a lot of hoof care friends. And I flew to England in 2015 to go to a navicular rehab and I just became super passionate about navicular disease and navicular issues and rehabbing my own gelding. And that spilled into me uh, looking during my prep periods at work when I should have been trying to figure out how to teach my own students. I was looking up ways to help my own horse. <laughs> um, so I left teaching and started doing this full time. So I'm a hoof care provider. Uh, and I started the podcast kind of like how you started the webinars to meet people and chat with people about in subjects that I'm interested in. And it sort of has snowballed from there. So I'm still- And the learning. Humble Hoof is part of Horse Radio News Net, or Horse Radio Network. Yeah, yeah. So it, I joined Horse Radio Network in August, 2020. Um, and they're great. They have an app that has tons of podcasts over a wide variety of topics. So- Yeah, I'm a guest uh, on the Dressage Hour. Yeah. Basis. I love those guys, Reese and-, and uh, Philip, they're really just so much fun to chat with. So it's a great, uh, uh, Glenn has done a fabulous service to the horse world, providing that, uh, you know, that 
that programming and um, it's great that you're out there now. Yeah. Thank you so much. I know it's been, it's been a whirlwind because I, like I said, I'm still, I'm still learning. This is something that I'm continually seeking answers for. And um, it's awesome to be able to share things that I've learned from various areas too. So, yeah. So what are we going to talk about today? So today we're going to be talking about uh, transitioning horses from shod to barefoot. Um, and I don't know if you want me to share my screen now with the slideshow or. Yeah, sure. And I, I, I did actually figure out how to do polling on one question. I'm going to launch one question. We're going to give everybody 30 seconds to answer this. So I don't know. Did it pop up on your screen? It did. Okay, great. Um, because I, I, I realized when I was trying to find the link for uh, Diane that um, it was the polling thing was blocking it. So um, I thought, well, let's just see this. I'm just learning new techniques. You know, Alicia, I think that's one of the things uh, that's so important is that we never stop learning and we add to our body of knowledge. And when we learn something that we realize invalidates something that we thought, it's okay because that's mm -hmm. part of progress. All yeah. right, so I'm going to end the poll and we're going to see, wow, this is really interesting. It's a 50-50 <laughs> split almost. I think somebody um, mentioned what if they're already barefoot. So it could be, yeah, if your horse is already barefoot or if you're, you know, your horse is barefoot, but maybe they're not super comfortable and yep. this hopefully will help, you help with that. So, so thanks everybody. I just, I'm learning a new technique here and I'll get better at it and we'll ask more questions in other webinars. Awesome. All right. Let's see if I can do this then. There you go. You're sharing my screen. Yeah, you got it. Fantastic. And so then it'll be hopefully me figuring out that I can share it and change the slides and everything, but we'll get started. Um, so yeah, this is, we're going to be talking about pulling shoes and transitioning to barefoot. Um, I feel like in a lot of, I don't know if you've seen this, but in a lot of the hoof care Facebook groups that I help with, uh, I often see posts about people who are, um, pulling shoes on their horses and they have the horse struggle to be comfortable after the fact. Uh, so I thought maybe it would be helpful to, share some tips on how people can prepare for taking their horses barefoot instead of kind of scrambling around to try to get their horses comfortable after they've already pulled shoes. Um, and I can't believe that I have to even give this caveat, but I feel like I have to give this caveat that this webinar isn't going to be a barefoot versus shod debate. It's not going to be like bashing farriers or any kind of hoof care provider or, you know, what any kind of owner or hoof care provider decides to do for a certain horse. Uh, I respect any single professional that wakes up in the morning and spends their day trying to work to get horses feet better because it's a really hard job and nobody sets out to make horses worse or uncomfortable. Everybody's trying to help horses. Um, and it's not really webinar to convince people to pull shoes. Uh, there are many reasons why someone might want extra protection on their horse. And obviously I'm not seeing these horses in person. Uh, and you know, I'm not talking to the owners through this. So it's, it's not, trying to sway you either way. But um, that being said, if you're already thinking of going barefoot, I hope that there's some things in here that help for an easier transition. And, um, you know, I think I mentioned in the last webinar that I'm not making any promises of like, oh, here's a five-step process to rock crunching bare feet. Um, Cause every horse is so different and unique. But um, if you have your hoof care team in place and can have some little, steps to help your horse be more comfortable. Hopefully that will, you know, help them to transition well. You know, so I think that's such a good point, Alicia, because I mean, I had a horse that, you know, we couldn't take her barefoot. She, the way she was, her confirmation, it, she would have worn her feet to nubbins. And so, 
she needed heavy protection. Whereas, uh, you know, my other horse, he's only worn two sets of shoes in his entire life. So it's so important to recognize that there's a purpose for everything we do. And it's a question of, you know, has that purpose changed? Have we evolved? Is there something different? And you know what I find so fascinating is that the evolution of hoof care is, it feels like it's picked up such a fast pace and there's so many new ideas and things coming down the road, like composite shoes and things like that, that um, it really needs to be an individual horse by horse decision, doesn't it? Right, exactly. And I think that there's so much division in the hoof care world. There's, you know, camps of belief that are kind of like fighting with each other. And I, it just makes me so sad because ultimately we're all on the same team, right? We're all trying to get these horses more comfortable and people are using different ways to do that, but that doesn't mean that that's inherently evil. And (laughs) so uh, I didn't want that to anybody to use this information as like a, you know, way to get at anyone else, you know, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, Um, totally. Yeah. So these pictures uh, on this uh, title screen are actually the same horse. They're the opposing front feet on the same horse. Um, Obviously, he was a very high low case. So the black foot was his low foot and the white foot was his high foot. Um, And these pictures are only five weeks apart. And in that five week time frame, he actually gained a lot of comfort just using some of the like little tips and stuff that we'll talk about. So he was an interesting case. And um, obviously his high low didn't ever really change, but it didn't really affect him much after the fact. So that was good. Um, so we kind of touched on this a tiny bit. Um, but I wanted to, to, you know, say first of what barefoot or what pulling shoes isn't. Um, so I find a lot of people maybe aren't aware of ways to prepare to pull shoes and, uh, a lot of times shoes are pulled without necessarily thinking through what to do if the horse is sore, like we mentioned. So this is where I think I see a lot of barefoot failure or hearing, uh, some sort of snide comments that barefoot is cruel. Um, and I agree, it would be cruel to force a horse that is sore to move on uncomfortable feet. So I want to address that right off that taking shoes off isn't just pulling them and ignoring any changes in comfort and movement. (laughs) Um, And it's not forcing a horse to just deal with it and move over surfaces that they are sore on because that can actually lead to bruising, abscessing or other problems. Um, It's not also immediately expecting the horse to necessarily perform at the same level they were without conditioning their internal hoof structures and hoof capsule. Um, think of the hoof kind of like a muscle where you have to build its strength. Um, although some horses I've pulled shoes on and the owner was back out like a venting the next day. And I kind of shrugged and said, okay, well, <laughs> I don't know how that worked out, but good. That sounds great. Um, and obviously barefoot isn't neglecting their feet. So it's not just like pulling their feet and, you know, sticking them in a paddock and forgetting about their hoof care. You still need to, you know, pay attention to their feet and keep them on a, on a schedule. So I just wanted to get that out of the way. All right. Uh, so considerations. Um, now, usually when someone calls me and tells me that they want to pull their horse's shoes, I go through a whole handful of questions in order to help me get a better idea of what the horse might need for a successful transition. And if the owner has a realistic expectation of what the transition might look like. So no answers to these questions are deal breakers, unless an owner tells me that they're unwilling to make 
any changes to help the horse. Um, so for example, uh, my friend, Casey Sexton, she owns uh, a business, North Georgia Hoof Care outside of Atlanta. She mentioned to me that she tells owners to expect one month transition time for every year that horse was in shoes. So for example, if a horse was shod for 12 years, then you might expect 12 months where that horse is building a stronger hoof capsule and maybe taking that time to get fully comfortable. Um, so we'll expand some more on some of these questions that I ask in the upcoming slides, but obviously I ask, you know, has the horse had any soundness issues or are they crippled when they lose a shoe? <laughs> Cause it might take some extra preparation and planning, um, before we take the shoes off. Uh, how old is the horse and how long it was has it been shod? And I don't ask the age to say, oh, it's too old to pull its shoes, but more that if a horse is older and they've struggled barefoot in the past, it might be worth it to test them for Cushing's or PPID and see if there's underlying inflammation um, that's causing it to be difficult for them to be barefoot. Uh, I ask what kind of work the horse does and what the owner is expecting for a timeline because if the horse is in heavy competition and the owner wants to pull the shoes and go back to competition the next day, it just might not be realistic to work with that owner with that expectation. Uh, and I ask about turnout because movement we'll talk about is super important for hoof health. Um, and also the horse's diet, which we spent a really long time talking about in the last webinar. And I think it's one of the biggest things that can affect their hoof sensitivity when they're barefoot. Um, and we sort of mentioned this as well, but I hear a lot of people talking about obstacles to barefoot, why their horses can't be barefoot. Um, so I wanted to mention uh, why I might ask some of those questions. So the answers to each of those questions in the last slide gives me a general idea of how to prepare the owners um, for the transition. And um, there are many farriers and hoof care providers that have helped horses that might have less than ideal answers to the questions in the last slide um, and help them transition to barefoot successfully. Uh, so some examples are, you know, uh, navicular laminitis, founder, uh, thin soles, high-low horses, like the one we saw in the title slide, um, horses with really flared pancake-type feet, horses that crack and chip their walls, um, contracted heels, or even horses with stereotypically bad feet, like off the track thoroughbreds, or I hear a lot like draft horses can't be barefoot because they're so big. Um, I just want to say that I've actually, I have cases of all of those examples that have successfully gone barefoot, but the preparation in each of those cases looks different because of the extra care that's needed to make sure that they're not struggling as they're transitioning. Um, so this horse in this picture, she was 20 years old when I met her. So in August, 2019, she was 20. Um, she was shot on all four feet. So this is actually her hind left foot. And she had an injury on that left hind that resulted in a club foot. And she actually had a badly sheared medial heel. So basically the inside heel bulb was sitting above, um, the outside heel bulb and just looked at looked completely uh, shifted on her foot, um, which you obviously can't see in that picture. Um, so as I mentioned, she was over 20 years old when we pulled shoes and she was pretty comfortable right 
coming right out of shoes, but the owner took some extra steps. And pretty soon after that, she was back in ridden work and just using boots and pads um, to ride. So she was one where, you know, people would say, oh, she had an injury. She has a bad club foot. She can't, maybe she always needs shoes, but she actually did really well. So um, <laughs> before we pull shoes, uh, what, like I said, when someone calls me and we have that conversation, I usually ask them to do things before I ever meet the horse. So before I ever go out and pull shoes, I have the owner prepare for me to go out and pull shoes. So um, for owners that call me, often the horses already have hoof issues or previous lameness problems. So I am extra cautious to put as much, uh, as much planning into place to make their transition a successful one. So I, I just don't want it to be one of those things where the owner says, oh, barefoot just didn't work for my horse because we pulled the shoes and he was sore. We had to put him back on. Um, so I, I always start by talking to the owners about diet and diet, in my opinion, plays one of the largest roles in hoof comfort. Um, I will actually often ask the owners to adjust their horse's diet at least one cycle before pulling shoes. Uh, to allow any inflammation from a diet sensitivity or mineral imbalance to calm down and a new tighter lamina connection to start growing in, which gives the hoof a head start and in, in comfort. Um, so if we have a few months of good tight lamina connection uh, in the hoof capsule before the shoes come off, the horse is more likely to come out of those shoes a lot more comfortable. Um, so for example, this picture right here, it, we talked about it in my last webinar, but this is a horse that I pulled shoes on and I, I don't often dress the lower part of the foot when I'm trimming, meaning I don't rasp off that flare, um, partially because it's kind of cool to see the change. You know, you can see the top half of that foot is growing in much tighter um, in the bottom and also it kind of flares out like a bell. Um, that top half is where his diet change came in and he was growing in that tighter lamina connection, which shows that he did have a lot of inflammation that would have made him really sore um, coming out of shoes without starting that diet change. So we learned last webinar that I can spend a very long time talking about diet. <laughs> um, so if you want to see what I recommend really in depth, uh, you can go to that one. I think it was like November 2nd. Um, was the first webinar with Wendy that we did where we talked a lot about diet. Um, but super quick overview. Um, we, I seek to have owners feed a forage-based diet that's usually free of commercial grains um, and balance minerals in the diet to what is deficient in the hay. Um, and if the horse is a hard keeper, there are safe sources of calories we can add that won't affect hoof sensitivity. So uh, for example, if I come to a horse that's an easy keeper, uh, I might ask the owner to stop grain if they're on grain and switch to something like a Timothy grass pellet or a Teff pellet with added minerals based on the average deficiencies in the hay in that area um, until they can get hay tested or if they can't get hay tested, these are safe anyway. Um, so ones that I like in the United States um, I don't, I'm not stuck on any one brand. I think these are all really great. Um, I like Vermont blend, mad barn, amino trace plus California trace plus 
Arizona Copper Complete. There's there are more, but those are ones that I will often have owners, you know, get samples of and try. And I basically say like, start with the one that your horse eats, <laughs> you know, as long as they're eating it and getting those minerals in them, it's a good start. Um, and also I like to have, you know, the owners make sure they're getting good levels of copper and zinc, good levels of amino acids and good levels of vitamin E. Those are like the three things I really want to see for hoof health starting out. And again, we can talk about this forever. So, um, yeah, I just, uh, it's number 122 is your previous webinar. And then Nick Barker talked about nutrition as well. Yes. Yeah. And actually I'll, I'll mention this a little bit later, but, um, Nick and I have been chatting once a week, um, on some zoom calls and, um, yeah, we were talking about some things like this, what helps with barefoot transition. I remember that she had done a webinar on nutrition too, uh, for hoof health. Right. Yeah. And you know, um, so this picture here, it's really interesting because as a result of Nick's uh, webinar, I added just salt and magnesium to the horses. And now I'm seeing this. And um, my question about it is, is like that, that top inch and a half that's new growth, its texture is quite different than the bottom, right? Like the bottom part is, uh, how do I call it? It's a flatter surface with some rings, obviously. Whereas the top is, looks, uh, is it the periopal that you're noticing? Yeah. That's what I wanted you to talk to is, is that just periopal and it just has a different textural look? Yeah. If it feels texturally different, I usually just think it's the periopal, which it can, periopal can actually, you know, overgrow at times. I notice it a lot when there's a really dry season, it'll get kind of longer and then flaky. Um, and if it's wetter then it, it's moist and sometimes doesn't get as long. I mean, that's just what I've seen in horses. And, and, and the definition of periopal for those who don't know, it's like a cuticle. It's like yeah. a cuticle on your nail. So it basically protects that brand new hoof growth right down, like right up by the hairline as it's growing down. Right. And in this case, it's rather, it's rather long, the periopal. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can kind of see it's a little scaly. Yeah. So he, it was a drought last summer. <laughs> so the, these horses had really dry feet. Um, but I, I assume if it had been a wet summer, you wouldn't even really notice that. Okay. Um, so, so there's nothing wrong with that. It just looks different because it's got that sort of cuticle growing down longer than, than it might normally. Right. And obviously I, I can't see your horse, so I can't say for sure. No, but this picture here is so like what my, my horse's feet look like. And that tighter, that tightening is exactly what I noticed. This has been about what, six months now, since I added those just those two things into the diet. And I've done a bunch of other things, which I won't go into right now. But, but when I saw this picture, I was like, wow, that's what my horse's feet are looking like that tighter, tighter hoof wall, but with the periopal. Yeah. Yeah. And actually it's funny that you mentioned the salt and magnesium because for my own gelding, if I don't have good levels of salt and magnesium, I instantly notice that he's more sensitive on stones. So that's something where if he, if I forget to make up his supplements and he's not fed those supplements for a bit, I can tell in his hoof sensitivity. So that's something I learned from Nick, the salt and magnesium. Too. Yeah. And like I said, I, I added that and it was fascinating. Um, actually. Yeah. Um, awesome. And hopefully it's okay. I keep, so I, I, I have two screens. I have my screens with my notes and then the screen with the slide. So I keep looking over at the slide and then realizing that I probably look like I'm just staring off into space, but I'm looking at the screen that you're all looking at. <laughs> 
All the webinars um, the So this is actually another thing that owners can do before I ever pull shoes is start treating for thrush. And some people might say, well, I don't have thrush. And I'm here to tell you, you probably do have a horse with thrush. Um, I'd say that most horses that I come to for the first time have thrush that has never been, that the owner's never been told that the horse has thrush before. Um, central sulcus thrush is something that I see commonly, especially in horses that um, are shod just from lack of ground contact of the frog. So that's that split right in between the heel bulbs in the middle of the frog. And I expanded on thrush a lot in the last webinar. And I also have an entire podcast episode devoted to causes and treatment for thrush. Um, so we don't have to spend a ton of time talking about it, but I just wanted to say that owners treating thrush before the shoes come off can help the frog be less sensitive when the hoof is out of shoes. So I personally really like red horse products. Um, they are just, they just work and they're easy. Um, you know, you don't have to mix anything together and they're very safe for the hoof. A lot of thrush products that have, um, alcohol or harsher substances actually can harm healthy tissue, uh, as well as killing the thrush, but we want to try to nurture that healthy tissue so that it grows and becomes stronger as opposed to just, you know, killing everything in the frog. Um, so this picture here is a horse that I pulled out of shoes. The left photo is the right when I took his shoe off. Um, you can see that he had deep central sulcus thrush and his frog was all uh, chewed up from just bacteria and, and um, microbes. And on the right, I don't remember if this was five weeks later or 10 weeks later, but I know it was within two trimming cycles and the owner had been treating with red horse artemud. Um, and I think she might've started with the hoof stuff when he first came out and he had that really tight split in the middle of his frog. Uh, and at that point, he, his frog was looking a lot better. So, so um, I love the Artemud stuff. I, I use that stuff, but the apple cider vinegar mix, is that, is there a recipe somewhere for that? Oh yeah, I forgot I had written that down. Um, so a lot of owners, if they don't have access to the Red Horse products and I want them to start treating before I ever see the horse, something that's a, a fairly easy thing to do is mix apple cider vinegar and water with equal parts. So 50-50 apple cider vinegar and water, and you can spray it on the hoof every day. You can soak the foot in it for a little bit if you want. Um, it's not as strong or effective as other products that I've used, but it, I've seen it give a good head start or be a good preventative. Like if you have um, a, a central sulcus that's a little deeper, um, even if it seems like there's nothing there, spraying it with the apple cider vinegar and water can help kind of keep things at bay. So, and that will help a lot with their sensitivity coming out of shoes because, you know, if you have a, a fungal infection that's causing sensitivity, then that's going to make them sore when they're trying to walk around on a frog, that frog. Um, so I, I try to tell owners before I take shoes off that there are other possibilities that they might need to consider the day that we pull shoes. And one of those is um, I do like having owners uh, use boots and pads if the horse is, is uncomfortable coming out of shoes. So I tell them to be prepared to possibly buy boots and pads that day. Um, I'm not one of those people who just tells the horse to suck it up <laughs> and deal with it. Um, especially when considering that a lot of these horses might have undiagnosed low-grade laminitis or really thin soles or a history of founder and forcing those horses to move over surfaces they're uncomfortable on could cause 
bruising or abscessing or even corium damage. Um, so I know we've talked about this before, but the hoof is like the canary in the coal mine. It's telling you what's going on in the horse's body. So yes, there are definitely times when a horse is just like feeling the ground and they just haven't felt it. And so they need to get used to that, but we can't necessarily tell if it's just them trying to get used to that feeling of the ground, or if they actually have a low grade laminitic issue where moving around on those surfaces is actually harmful. So I like having the boots and pads ready. And this picture is kind of a funny picture. This is a mare that I, that I see that I trim. Um, and she has boots and pads on her hind feet because she had really crushed heels on her hind feet um, and negative plantar angles where the coffin bone is like sitting um, kind of tipped up or tipped backwards in the hoof capsule, which was causing her a lot of um, issues behind. And those cloud therapy boots are ones that I really like. Um, they have a slight soft wedge pad. So she really liked them. They're great for turnout. So I just had this picture and thought I would show. Okay. Yeah. Alicia, you're frozen here for a moment. So I'm not sure what's going on. <laughs> I have to wait for Alicia to come. Higher time. Oh. You're muted. You completely crashed like my like zoom vanished from my Oh no. I think it still went. I just realized that I can actually like pull the chat up over here. So now I feel bad if anybody's been asking questions. It's okay. I monitor the chat all the time. Um okay. and just keep track and ask questions when I think it's appropriate. But I, that was the weirdest thing you like totally like everything disappeared and then you came back. So I'm just really glad you're back. You were talking <laughs> about this and I was like, "Oh no." <laughs> You're talking about this mayor that she had negative plane behind and that's where we lost you. Yeah. Um, is my video still working? I see your video. Oh, uh, yes. Okay. Yeah, I see you and the screen okay. share is still up. <laughs> All right. Perfect. Um, yeah. So I just mentioned that the, these cloud boots have a soft um, wedge in them and she was much happier going in those and they're great for turnout. Their, their fit is very forgiving. Um, I have in working, I don't even know, in the last four years or so, I've only had maybe two horses that the cloud boots just didn't work really well for. Um, so I tend to, to like them. Yeah. Um, it turns out that I was the only one who was lost and you were still there, but I, <laughs> I, I just want to ask, since I got lost, I want to ask you a question. Um, yeah. you know, over the years, I have heard people talk about that the, it's okay for oh, the no. horse to be sore. And I'm so Did glad you you're, uh Oh no, I'm here. Any M <laughs> can you hear me? Let's see. Uh -oh. Okay. Well, maybe she'll come back. Yeah, I'm, I'm <laughs> we'll sure. This is oh. so weird. Oh, there you are. You had disappeared again. That's so weird. I don't know why that's happening. Um, uh, if you lose me again, it sounds like everybody else still had you. So if I disappear again, just keep going and I'll okay. watch the replay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> recording um maybe it's the wind but i mean the the point i wanted to bring up was that you know i've heard people say that it's okay for horses to be in pain and to and but from everything i understand and i'm so glad that you're bringing up this point that if a horse is sore in his feet that's not good and you need to take an action yes to me foot soreness is a symptom of something else so it's not that i always make this joke of like 
you know, a horse being foot sore isn't a, a sign of a deficiency of metal on the feet. <laughs> it's a sign that there's something going on in that horse's body that is showing up because they're bearing weight on sensitive structures in their feet. So those sensitive structures are inflamed from whatever is going on in their body. And we can just see it because they have to walk on those. Um, horses, I think a lot of horses are more stoic than we realize. So if there's hoof sensitivity, I assume that they might have a systemic issue that's probably bothering them. So I like to investigate that more and not just write it off as, oh, they just need more time to walk on, on tough surfaces. And I know that probably sounds, you know, I don't know, wimpy or something, but I well, but horses don't <laughs> tolerate pain the way like humans do. I mean, they're just, they're, you know, that's one of the things about horse, cows are so different. You can, <laughs> but horses don't tolerate pain well. So I just think that's such an important point to reiterate. Thanks. Yeah, of course. Um, and so I wanted to go through my typical process of like when I show up and get out of my truck to pull shoes and what that looks like. Um, so like we said, before even going to the appointment, I typically have a plan in place that I've talked about with the owner. Um, and so the first thing I do is if there's a good flat surface or even just a barn aisle, I will usually film the horse in slow motion to assess their hoof landings, uh, which we did talk about a lot in the last webinar. Um, and I actually did, I made a YouTube video. We don't have to watch it now, um, but if you wanted to look it up, it's called how to assess hoof landings. Um, and it goes through step-by-step step of what I look for when I'm watching a horse move. And so I like to watch them move before I pull shoes, after I pull shoes, and after I do the first trim. And then sometimes again in boots and pads, depending on how they're moving. And to me, those hoof landings are determining or are showing me more about their comfort level than anything else. Like, are they willing to fully extend their limb and land on their heel or on their frog? Or is their frog really sore or is you know, are they short strided because they have thin soles or maybe low grade laminitis? There's so many different things that can be causing them to adjust their stride length. And um, I actually have a podcast episode coming out next week uh, talking about soft tissue damage in the hoof. And we talk quite a bit about landings and that. And there's just so much that can cause a horse to change how they're landing. So even that alone can determine or can tell you what you're looking at in this horse and where issues might be coming from. Um, so I like to have that documented and just know what's normal for that horse up to that time. And these pictures here, the top ones are from Rockley Farm with, you know, Nick Barker runs Rockley Farm in England. And so the picture on the top left shows a, a toe first landing where that limb isn't fully extended. The knee or the carpus is not fully straight when the hoof hits the ground. And then the picture on the right um, top right is a heel first landing where you can see that 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 knee is fully extended when that hoof hits the ground and the horse is more comfortable to do that. Um, so after I film, I take hoof pictures. If I can remember and I'm not so eager to get started, I'll try to take pictures with shoes still on. But a lot of times I'm so excited to start working that I take pictures after I've pulled shoes. Um, <laughs> So, you know, I, I take pictures after I pull shoes and I try to always do it before my first trim and then after my first trim, which is usually 99% of the time, very uneventful changes because um, the, with most cases, I do an incredibly minimal trim when I first pull shoes, unless the hoof is grossly overgrown because they're already adjusting to losing a ton of protection 
from a metal shoe. So they're already having a big adjustment. If I then take away everything else that they have for protection, they are now suddenly exponentially, they have a, a way bigger change to get used to. So I usually um, will, you know, use creased nail pullers, pull each nail individually. So I don't break any of that hoof wall. I try to keep as much hoof wall as I can. And then really just bevel and roll that wall. And anybody that knows me knows that I hate giving trim advice without seeing a horse in person and watching them move. So I'm not trying to give anybody trim advice of what to do, but I will quickly mention, and we'll talk about it later, that probably one of the biggest obstacles I see to comfort when pulling shoes other than diet changes is a trim that was just way too big to do right off when you take the shoes off. Um, so I, you know, leave them that extra layer of protection, leave them that extra sole, any, you know, leave as much, when you pull shoes, look at that foot and say, what can I leave on this foot? Not like, what can I take off? Um, Cause that's going to help them to be more comfortable during that time. Another product that I love, and I don't, I'm not employed by them. I don't make money from them, but I really love hoof armor. Um, it's a Kevlar based epoxy and it's as thin as like a coat of nail polish and it's clear. So you won't even really necessarily notice it after it's on. Um, but I typically put it on every horse that I pull out of shoes because it's inexpensive. It's, it's cheap to do. It can last for weeks. So some cases I've put it on and come back five or six weeks later, and I can still see that it's on there. You know, if you go to scrape the sole and you put it on the sole and you can't actually scrape anything, it's because it still has that Kevlar epoxy on it. Um, and it's just added insurance for their comfort and it's antimicrobial. So I've seen it help with thrush and with, you know, white line separation, crummy walls. I've seen it kind of help clear some of that thing, some of those things up when I clean the foot really well before application. Uh, and one that, of the other- That was a question I always had about hoof armor was whether or not it was trapping anything into the foot, but you're, you're saying it is antimicrobial. Yeah, and the exact ingredients are proprietary, but- David Jones, who makes it has said that it is antimicrobial and I've seen thrush clear up. I mean, I'll tell owners like you can treat this thrush, but I, you know, I'm putting hoof armor on the sole anyway, I'll just put it all over the frog. And then I bet, you know, that'll help the thrush. And, and I've had times where I've come back and there's been, the frog's been light years better than it was. Um, so I, I believe that that's definitely the case. I do make sure the foot's really clean before, well, you have to make sure the foot's really clean right. before you apply it because it won't adhere if it's not clean, but also to make sure that you're, you know, keeping a, a good clean surface so that it can continue to kill any gross things that are there. Um, good to know. Yeah. And so that's just a, I, I put it, even if horses seem comfortable coming right out of shoes, I put hoof armor on because I mean, it's a couple dollars a foot. It's so cheap that it doesn't make sense not to. Um, but if I pull shoes and I notice that the horse is clearly sensitive, then I strongly suggest owners get a pair of therapy boots, like the easy boot clouds. I personally stock these. I have a size of easy boot clouds in almost every single size. I have a pair of easy boot clouds in almost every single size in my truck. So that if I come to a horse and they're not comfortable, I have something prepared for them. Um, and I've, I have only maybe once seen a horse that did not like cloud boots. And that was because they had, uh, we talked about this with surefoot pads a little bit. They had a soft tissue injury that made the instability of a thick pad uncomfortable 
on their soft tissue. But other than that, every single horse I've put in cloud boots has loved them. So I just, you know, it's, it's nice to be able to take a horse and put them in something where they're instantly so happy. Um, and, you know, I, I think we saw in the next, the last picture or the last slide, these boots are really great for turnout, but they're not a riding boot. Um, so they're really great during transition. If the turnout is really rocky and the horse is sensitive um, and they need some extra comfort and incentive to move, because the more movement they do, the more circulation they're getting in the hoof capsule, the more the hoof is um, flexing and deforming and allowing those tubules to grow in uh, healthier. So I do like using them. Um, and the next thing I do at the appointment, you know, if we've decided if the horse gets boots and pads or not, I will treat for thrush if I see any, which I usually do. And I show the owner exactly where and how I want them to treat the thrush and how often, which is usually as often as you can do it as often as you see your horse. Um, and, uh, the last thing that I'll do is come up with a plan or a timeline with the owner. So how soon they might expect the horse to be comfortable and back in work. And like we talked about, the hoof is a really complex structure and the internal structures need to strengthen just like any soft tissue in our bodies or any muscle um, where they're learning how to flex and strengthen those soft tissue. And it's going to take time. Um, so I know we had mentioned what Casey Sexton had said that, you know, I, a conservative timeline is just shoot for one month for every year that the horse was shod. And sometimes that's like a gross, like over, you know, that's like way more than they would ever need. But at least, you know, that, um, you're not telling owners, they're going to be able to jump on the horse tomorrow and expect them to feel great. So, um, and actually the next slide talks a little bit more about added protection. Uh, so we had obviously talked about the cloud boots um, in the last slide. So this picture on the right was a badly foundered mare. I mean, tons of rotation, just distorted feet, very uncomfortable, distal descent. And she did really, she was actually like very sore in shoes because if you think about it, um, the lamina in laminitis, the lamina is, in, is inflamed. And if they're in a, a traditional um, shoe, then the hoof wall is bearing a lot of weight, uh, which means the lamina is bearing a lot of weight. So you're bearing a lot of weight on a, an inflamed structure. So sometimes just taking them out of those and putting them into cloud boots with the sole support, they're so much more comfortable. So this horse was more comfortable in cloud boots instantly. Um, I've also seen horses with navicular issues or even just thin soles really like them, but some owners really don't want to deal with boots or if they board, they're worried that they can't go and put boots on their horse every day. Um, or the, the barn owners might not want to deal with it, or they're worried about losing boots in turnout. And that's where I might uh, go with casting, um, which is seen in the left picture. This is a hoof cast with dental impression material. You can see a little bit of the blue, the light blue right by this horse's heel. Um, and so casting is firmer. It's, uh, it restricts the foot a little bit more than boots and pads. Um, but when applied correctly, it does allow some flexion of the hoof capsule and the packing with um, dental impression material and thrush stuff that we put under it 
um, it helps to prevent the foot from kind of getting funky or um, it can prevent contracting of the heels. Cause if you put a cast on and wrap it too tight over the heels or don't add dental impression material, sometimes it will contract the heels. Um, and that dental impression material can also support the frog, uh, help engage the digital cushion. And I've seen it really help with gaining sole depth. So there have been a few horses where coming out of shoes, I just do a cycle or two in casts and they, they have better sole depth and they're able to then come out of the casts better than if they just went straight from shod to barefoot. So they kind of have that time where the foot is gaining sole depth, um, learning how to flex a little bit and, and engage the digital cushion more than it has. So the next one, um, often I see posts on Facebook with people asking if something is normal or not for their newly barefoot horse. And it's always, it like breaks my heart when I see someone post like, oh, my, we pulled my horse's shoes and now she's laying down and groaning. Is this normal? And I, it just is, it makes me so sad to think that, you know, people just don't know what to expect when they take their horse's shoes off and, and they don't know if it's normal if their horse is lying down and really sore. Um, so I wanna just address what might be normal and what definitely isn't normal. So when you take shoes off, it's absolutely normal for there to be an adjustment period for the horse. So think about if we were living in shoes ourselves and suddenly had to walk around and feel various surfaces, uh, our proprioception would feel completely different. And Dr. Bowker always says that the hoof is a sensory organ. So the horse needs time to adjust to, you know, adjust based on its input from that sensory organ. Um, it's completely normal for the hoof wall to chip up to the nail holes. And I often tell owners to just expect that the hoof wall is going to chip up to the nail holes um, and that it's usually cosmetic. And as the stronger hoof grows down from that diet change, that the hoof wall will stop chipping and become stronger once that hits the ground. Um, and as we saw in the earlier slide, it's also normal to see an event line from a diet change or even from simply pulling shoes. So sometimes you'll see an event line grow down just from that, that change in their life. So what's not normal is for a horse to be crippled, incredibly sore, lying down, uh, for them to have heat or pulses in their feet, for them to have reoccurring abscesses or be reluctant to walk. Uh, this can mean that there's a laminitic issue happening or something other, um, some other underlying problem that needs further diagnostics. And I've also seen this happen when someone pulls shoes and the horse was given a big trim, like we mentioned before. Like you take the shoes off and then you just trim the foot as you would normally. And the horse just wasn't ready for that. And they react really poorly, um, especially if they're not given boots and pads or any kind of protection after that and just expected to go on as normal. So uh, that's definitely not normal. And a lot of times you'll, you'll end up having to involve a vet if you have a horse that's really sore like that, because you want to figure out what is the trigger for that. It's not typically just removing the shoes. It can be well, we'll talk about troubleshooting in the next slide, but there can be a lot of reasons why they'd have that negative reaction. So this picture here um, is another horse that I see and um, he was chronically lame and he was actually worked on by a really fantastic farrier in my area who does wonderful shoe jobs. And in, in fact, I actually refer owners to this farrier if local owner, you know, if 
local people want metal shoeing because I don't do metal shoeing. I like this farrier's work. So I send them to this person um, to get shoes if needed. And the owner asked me to pull shoes as she had basically pretty much decided to retire him because he was chronically lame. And he's one that chipped up his hoof wall cycle after cycle until the new growth hit the ground. And you can even see in the shod pictures that his hoof wall was chipped just from changing his shoes, like just pulling the nails out, he chipped up his walls. Um, so he had really weak hoof wall that got a lot better once the, um, the new diet grew out. And the funny thing is once we pulled his shoes, he did struggle with hoof sensitivity. Um, but the owner used boots and scoop boots actually and pads. And within a few cycles, the horse was no longer lame. So he had been chronically lame set to be retired and he was no longer lame, uh, but he did feel different surfaces. So he noticed when he was going over stones. So he had this nagging hoof sensitivity. Um, and I, I wasn't happy with that. So I asked the owner to pursue further diagnostics and she discovered that her horse actually has PPID, which is Cushing's at age 14. So he was, a, he was pretty young for that. Um, but starting Perglide was a game changer for him. So that's percent. Um, and so again, you know, nothing I did necessarily helped that horse as much as the owner's commitment and, and diagnostics to figure out why he wasn't handling, you know, the ground as well as he should, at, you know, barefoot. So there, uh, that's a time when diagnostics were really helpful in figuring out why he was not thriving once we pulled his shoes. And just the fact that he came up sound was like icing on the cake because she was expecting to just send him down south to retire him. So these are actually radiographs from that exact same horse <laughs> in, the, in the past um, slide. Um, he, he uh, it's hard to see in the shod radiographs, but he actually had very thin soles. They were about 0.5, or sorry, um, they were about five to six millimeters. And on a barefoot horse, I like to see 15 millimeters or so of sole depth for comfort. Um, although Paige Poss will say that it's not, it's not the depth of the sole that's important, it's the, the density. So you can see horses with thinner soles that are comfortable. Um, so the radiographs on the right were taken just a few weeks ago and he has nearly tripled his sole depth, probably due to the pergolide, changing his diet, and using, you know, boots and pads and various forms of protection to get his soul healthier. And now he's at about um, 16 to 17 millimeters of soul depth on both front feet. Alicia, can you use your pointer and just point out when you talk about soul depth, how can you you're... see this? Yeah. Oh, there you go. Um, so soul depth, it's really hard to see in the shot images, but it'd be from the tip of the coffin bone down to where you see the bottom of the sole. So here, the tip, well, we, we use the tip of the coffin bone down to where you see the sole stop. You don't go down to the ground because you're covering air there. Um, the only thing is we get a few millimeters of corium here that's sensitive tissue. So you wouldn't really count that because that's not actual sole. It's, it's soft tissue. It's where the sole grows from. But really I'm looking from the tip of the coffin bone projected down to where you see the, the sole stop. Thanks. So that really helps because I, you know, people talk about sole depth all the time, but how, you know, how are they measuring it? So that's really helpful. Yeah. Um, so for troubleshooting, like with this gelding, he took a ton of troubleshooting. We had to go through a lot of different things to figure out why he wasn't comfortable. Um, but I, I go back to those questions that I asked the owners before we even pulled shoes. Uh, you know, are, is there, are there diet issues? What is the horse's diet? 
Did they add anything new in the diet? Some owners have told me like, oh, well, I just added alfalfa because I wanted to help their gut issues. And suddenly a horse is super sore over all surfaces, or they just added in, you know, some grain because they saw it and it looked really good. Um, any changes can make them go from literally rock crunching to sensitive and sore. Um, you know, is there a mineral imbalance? Is there excess iron in something they're feeding? Um, and I, I mentioned, I have seen a lot of horses that once, once they go barefoot, um, they are really sensitive to alfalfa or soy products. And that's definitely not every horse, but enough horses where if I see a horse that's foot sore, I tell the owner to stop alfalfa. Um, and if, if they're on alfalfa and soy has been only a very small handful of horses that I see, um, they're have like a nagging hoof sensitivity. And once they remove soy, all of a sudden they're fine. Um, I don't know what that would be from, but just like people have different sensitivities, horses can too. Well, most soy now is GMO. Yeah. And, and, you know, there's a lot of really good products that are coming out that are now natural and well, they say naturals on the, you know, like triple crown naturals where they'll, they'll say they're GMO free, soy free, whatever. Um, so I think there's a lot more options now for owners too. So a few other things to troubleshoot, um, is the horse really short strided and landing toe first and perpetuating. So a horse that's landing inappropriately is going to be perpetuating injury in the hoof capsule and not allowing the hoof to grow as well as it should. And I think in those cases, if you can't change their environment where they're getting, you know, pea gravel or some other things that we talked about in the last webinar, I think boots and pads are great to get them instantly landing more comfortably and willing to move more. And that movement helps them to grow a healthier hoof. Um, thrush, as we mentioned, if the owner hasn't been able to treat thrush as much, that thrush itself can cause hoof sensitivity. Um, and movement is one of the biggest factors in, in hoof health. Uh, I think Pete Ramey said something like the hoof needs thousands of heel first landings to strengthen. So if a horse lives in a stall, it's going to take a lot longer or be nearly impossible um, for them to get a really healthy hoof because it needs stimulation. It's a, a use it or lose it thing. Um, and again, does the horse need extra diagnostics or blood work to figure out underlying issues? And finally, sometimes they just need, they need time. Um, we can't always expect a horse to come out of shoes and be totally fine the next day um, to do whatever they were doing before. They have to get stronger feet. And I know I mentioned this, but uh, I would never ever blame anyone if they see their horse struggling and they decide to go back to shoes or put protection on their horse's feet um, because it's so hard to see horses having a hard time and I don't think it's fair to them. So this obviously isn't to shame anyone and like, oh, you didn't try enough things. Um, we all wanna see our horses comfortable and sound. And that's the point of why I'm doing this is to try to help horses to be comfortable and sound when they go barefoot. Um, I'll try to fly through some of these. So other things that can sabotage transition, um, obviously this can be an entire webinar in itself. We're, you know, Nick- Barker Oh, great, we can have you back for another. <laughs> uh, well, it's funny, Nick Barker and I were talking about all the different things that can cause soundness issues and, and hoof sensitivity. And we were like, we could talk for hours about this. This is, this is kind of crazy, but, um, you know, management issues, like we talked about, if a horse is stalled all the time, um, body work issues. And actually I've been lately referring a lot of horses that I pull out of shoes to a local body worker 
um, to see if there's any compensation going on in the body that's causing restrictions in their movement. And a lot of times horses that have been in work or have been, you know, shod for a really long time, um, they're going to have things in their fascia and their soft tissue that needs some help. <laughs> um, so, uh, another thing is, uh, riding too hard too soon on weak feet. So this is again, one of those things where you're expecting the horse to be ridden just like it was when it was shod. And I always say that a shoe is kind of like a cast, right? So, uh, a shoe acts, uh, or a shoe allows a foot that is weaker to perform above, um, what it might be able to do barefoot because it adds, um, an extra stability, extra form of stability. So when you remove that, you have to then strengthen the hoof to be able to have stronger internal structures to withstand the same kind of performance um, and workload. And, and again, oh, sorry. Sorry, I was just going to say on Tuesday, we had Robin Larson and she talked about uh, muscles and fascia. And so that would be the webinar for people to watch for the flip side of this is coming from above. But foot soreness is one of the number one things she equates to fascial and tight muscles. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why another reason why I like using boots and pads during transition is it kind of lets the body unravel a bit too. Um, and then again, one of the biggest issues I see is trim issues and, and being a, you know, doing a really big aggressive trim and expecting the horse to be comfortable, you know, right away. Um, so over trimming, you know, I'm not sure who got lost. Um, and so this horse here was a founder case. Um, he also had chronic Lyme, anaplasmosis, proximal suspensory ligament desmitis, thin soles, and sensitive feet in general. Um, he was retired at a really young age. I think he was retired at nine, sadly. Um, so I pulled his shoes. And in this picture, you can see the drastic angle change from the diet change and from, I assume, from the change from pulling. It was down about three quarters of the hook wall. He became very comfortable and now he's rock crunching sound over all surfaces which is kind of crazy because he has a history of, he, he foundered multiple times before the age of nine and had, you know, chronically, he still has Lyme flare-ups and stuff and he's able to navigate all terrain. So he's a really cool case. Um, so again, have some realistic expectations. <laughs> um, some horses that I see, I take them out of shoes. They are instantly comfortable. You pull the shoes and it's like, they never had them on. It's so crazy to watch some horses walk out and are totally be totally fine. Um, but some horses will take a few days to adjust to the difference in proprioception and then feel fine. Um, some horses can take months or years to be fully comfortable bare. I mean, like that horse in the last slide, it took about a year for him to be fully comfortable barefoot. Um, some horses might need some time off riding as their feet strengthen and change, but some horses will always need added protection like boots and pads for ridden work. And I still think that, um, that's, that's a good option because if they're comfortable in turnout, then, 
you know, using boots and pads for a few hours a week for when you're riding is a great option for owners to, um, you know, allow the foot to, to function and, and uh, still add protection when needed. So I have a few uh, slides of case studies that we can do quickly. I know we're, we're going a little long, but um, so this horse, um, she is actually the mare that was in my how to assess hoof landings video on YouTube. She was diagnosed with navicular. Uh, and when I met her, she was very sore, even shod. I met her shod and she was unable to do tight turns. I mean, you ask her to turn around in the barn aisle and she nearly fell over. She did not want to put all her weight on one front foot during a turn. Um, so again, I talked to the owner about diet, um, having boots and pads, uh, just in case this horse, you know, struggled a lot with the transition. Um, uh, we used hoof armor, um, which I think every case I show you will, I'll tell you that we used hoof armor. Uh, she, the owner treated for thrush and I actually, um, I did smaller changes trim wise. I never did any big trims with her to allow her hoof and internal structures time to adjust. And I just saw her last week and she's now landing barefoot um, better than, than I would have ever expected. And the fact that she's been dealing with navicular for years and it's only been, I pulled her shoes in the middle of November. So it's only been a few months and she's landing pretty well barefoot on the barn aisle. Um, and the vet on the case actually came to the last trim appointment and asked me what I did. <laughs> She's like, how did, you, how did you make this man comfortable? And I said, I, I didn't, I didn't do anything special. I think it's all what the owner did. I think that this case would not have been as successful if those little changes were not put in place. But the vet was talking to me, like I performed some miracle and I literally just pulled this man's shoes and gave her a light trim. So it wasn't me. Um, but I thought these pictures were cool because they're only four weeks apart. I like to do a short cycle right when I pull shoes because I assume there will be some chipping. Um, and she actually didn't really have much chipping, but her heel stood up a lot between from when I pulled her shoes and the first time I, I went back to see her. Um, and you can still see the nail holes are almost in the same place. So really her, it's not like her foot grew a ton. So she's, she's a really cool case. And I, I hope to see her continue to improve. Uh, so this is another cool case. Um, this is a mare. There's actually the same mare from the clubby hind foot that I showed in one of the first slides. Um, all four feet of hers look completely different. Uh, so again, I met her at 20 years old. Um, she took almost a year and a half until I felt like her feet were in a pretty good spot. But again, I pulled her shoes at age 20. And the picture on the left is kind of dark. Um, the owner took that picture and I, cause I was bad at documenting. I should have been taking more pictures. And this was six months after I pulled her shoes on the left photo. And you can see that she still has central sulkish thrush. The owner had some hoof stuff in there, um, by red horse. And, you know, the sole is still kind of flat. The, you know, the heels are a bit contracted. The frog is kind of weak. And, um, then she sent the owner sent me this picture January, 2021. And, I didn't even realize how much better her feet had gotten because I was just going and trimming and assuming I'd see the same kind of like weak feet on like a 22 year old horse that had been, you know, shoes pulled at an older age and her feet are, have gotten so much healthier. Um, so she was another interesting one and <laughs> I have a few more. So, um, this horse on the left, uh, is an older, I think 
so she's either late twenties or in her early thirties. And she had foundered multiple times in the past. And the owner never thought that she would ever be able to go barefoot. And actually she contacted me because a farrier friend that I, I work with, um, in New Hampshire told her to, that she thought the mayor could go barefoot and to, to contact me to do it. And I was like, why don't you do it? Why, you know, <laughs> but, um, cause she's a great farrier and I think she could have definitely done it. But, um, so the owner incorporated a really strict diet change, especially with these founder cases, the diet needs to be super strict. Um, the owner used boots and pads for comfort, treated thrush religiously. And I think a huge part of it was this owner had the horse out 24 seven, um, built like a little bit of a track system at the barn where the little pony lived and, um, got good movement, but it still took months for her to be comfortable barefoot. I mean, she was in boots and pads for a long time because she was sore on, on the various grounds. She was great in boots and pads, but she couldn't handle barefoot, but now she can walk over anything frozen mud. She's like better than my horse on frozen mud. Um, and this horse on the right, it was an off the track thoroughbred. He's the same horse from the, the title slide. This is his upright foot. And he was one who was retired and actually set for euthanasia because of chronic lameness. And we took his shoes off and within two cycles, he was comfortable and riding again. And he was, you know, ridden in boots and pads. And we actually had him in casts at one point. Um, but he, he got comfortable a lot faster than I was expecting. So sometimes we can't always determine who's going to be comfortable in yeah. what time frame. Um, so this horse was actually a horse I used for, um, my, a pathology case study I did for, um, PHCP, which is the hoof care organization I'm a part of. And so he is an off the track thoroughbred as well. He's older, um, in his twenties. And when I pulled shoes on him, oh, he had, I could clearly see without even having radiographs, which we did get, I asked, I asked the owner to get radiographs after I saw him. Cause I knew that we had some extensive pathology. Um, you can see that the top photos his hoof is really bullnosed and his, you can just visualize that coffin bone in there just being tipped backwards. He had negative plantar angles pretty severely on both hind feet. Um, and luckily, I mean, it's kind of funny to say luckily, but, um, he had enough excess sole where I could do a lot of correcting to his negative angles through the trim alone. But even so he was in boots, um, on all four feet. And then we actually, did a few rounds of casting because the boots were rubbing a bit and casting obviously goes, you can see in the, the bottom photo on the bottom, right. It's kind of hard to see. He had a little rub on his heel bulb. Um, but casting allows you to, you know, stay below the heel bulb. So we did some casting and, um, he's actually, it's, I think it's been about a year. He's been doing really well. So, um, in the time of the bottom pictures, he wasn't completely comfortable, but now he's you know, running around his paddock. He's doing great. I mean, he's been retired anyway. Um, but he's much, much happier, but he's another one who took a bit of time and some more, more protection than just letting him go barefoot. So this is not really the point of the webinar, but I figured it wouldn't be a complete webinar without at least mentioning boots for riding. Um, so we've talked about some key aspects to pulling shoes. So I wanted to add in this one, um, to what to do for alternatives. So some horses might always need boots and pads for ridden work. And I mentioned this before, but if a horse can function comfortably and turn out, 
then I see barefoot turnout and booted riding kind of like the best of both worlds. Um, because it's, you know, it's a really good compromise for the horse. So every horse is really, re really unique in which boot fits best, especially for riding. Cause riding, you're asking that horse to like walk, truck, can, or sometimes jump, go through trails. I mean, I'm a big trail rider. So I want a boot that's going to stay on and not fall off. And I have to go search through miles of trails to see where it went. Um, so really the best boot is the boot that fits your horse and sizing charts online do not always equate to real life. So I like having fit kits and you can see if there's people in your area that have fit kits for various brands of boots. Um, but if you do end up measuring, uh, you measure from, you know, the length from, I, I start the ruler or, um, I can't even think. Yeah. The, the measuring tape at the toe and pull it back. Um, to get the length to right about where that heel, the weight bearing part of the heel would end. And then you measure the widest part of the foot. And that would give you an idea. It should be after a fresh trim. And that would give you an idea of what kind of size boot to get. Um, and so this, what is a fit kit? A fit kit is just the shell of a boot. So I have fit kits for scoop boots and um, easy care right now. It's not the whole get up of the boot with all the straps. It's literally just the shell that you can put on the hoof capsule. It's not attached in any way. Okay. So, um, so certain companies actually make like sizing. It, yes. Okay. Yeah. So then you can kind of try on a shell and see, I think, you know, you can say, I think it's going to be the size. I always tell the owners, I get the fit kit says it should be the size, but you never really know. Once you get the boot, sometimes they loosen a little bit after riding a bit and, and, um, the, the, and all, horses coming out of shoes, their feet can change a ton. So you can expect to have their boot size change pretty drastically. So a lot of times, you know, you, it's easier to get a pair of boots. You might end up selling in a few months. Cause yeah. they're, and are those the only two companies that, that have fit kits, easy care and scoop boot? Um, no, I, I think almost all companies, companies do. I also have Renegade shell, uh, fit kit. I don't have a fit kit for equine fusions, but I know they do have one. Um, and, uh, I know that there are others. And I was, got, I was about to mention flex boots, which is on my next slide because I use them for my pony. Um, but I don't know if they have a fit kit. Or okay. No, that's a great way to, because, you know, I can see people spending a lot of money, you know, a lot of back and forth trying to figure it out, but having a kit makes, you know, brilliant. Right. And, and then it's just the, the, uh, issue of finding someone who has a fit kit in your area. Um, who will come out and fit boots for you. Uh, actually, Sarah Hunt in San Diego, California has a, a big business fitting boots. She has like a fit kit for like every company. And I've been, I've been trying to get her, we're, we're working on scheduling a, a podcast episode talking about fitting boots. Awesome. <laughs> so um, that'll be at some point in the next few months. Um, but these are three brands that I use often, three brands for riding. So the one on the far left, the Glove Soft, uh, this is from Easy Care. I like this boot because you can actually heat up the shell and mold it to the horse's foot. And <laughs> the only downside to that is it's really hard to get on. But the, the good thing about that is it's hard to, for it to come off. <laughs> um, so they usually fit really well. You can grind to break over back into them. Um, and the heat fit usually is a really good option for horses that have slight distortion where their foot might not fit an exact size. Um, the middle picture. So all these horses are clients of mine. Um, the middle picture, um, is my friend Kaylee's horse who was, um, 
struggling with written work over different surfaces. He really likes scoop boots uh, with felt pads. And we'll talk about that in the next slide. Um, and this last picture is the little pony that I lease. And these are flex boots. And I've just started using these in the last year. And I have been incredibly impressed with how well these boots stay on because this little pony has a lot of movement. <laughs> so when he has a lot of action in his movement, so when he's cantering and when he's trotting, he likes to show that he is moving and he has a lot of knee action. He's kind of flinging his feet everywhere. And those things have stayed on. I've ridden through, you know, rivers that are up to his belly in those. Um, so I really like them. I, I am in a pretty wet environment, so I have not seen it wear be an issue for flex boots, but I have heard people say that in harsh environments, they wear through pretty quickly. Um, and obviously there are so many other brands. There are Renegades. Um, I tend to go with boots that I can add pads into because I like the solar support of a pad and the frog support of a pad. Um, Renegades don't necessarily allow you to add a pad. I know they have pouring options, but I have some endurance clients that love Renegades. Um, I know that there, there are so many other options that I just haven't even explored because I just it, like It's really uh, expanded uh, quite a lot over the past few years, hasn't it? I mean, yeah, it's been crazy. I mean, I remember when I was younger, you literally had one brand of hoof boot and it was for when your horse lost a shoe and you stuck right. it on. Right. You know? That was it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, and, uh, and, and we have a bunch of questions, but I think I'm going to hold all the questions to the end just because um, you're on a work. Yeah, we're almost done. So this is, um, these are some ways that I add pads into boots. The picture on the left is literally a felt saddle pad from State Line Tech for $20. It is a felt Western saddle pad. And for $20, you can probably get almost 20 pairs of pads and they last forever and you can wash them in the washing machine. So I love doing that. I've had horses really like it. This is a, a picture that Kaylee had sent me of the felt pad cut up and put in her scoop boot. Um, and the picture on the right is the easy care comfort pads. And what I like about those is they have different thicknesses and different densities. And some horses will hate like the green pad, which is the softest, but then love the red one, which is the firmest. And you can see a difference in their movement. So sometimes trying different pads is really cool to be able to see what your horse likes and what they move best in. Um, we just have two more. So this is, you know, something I always reiterate is talk with your team, you know, involve your vet, involve your body worker, um, your hoof care provider, obviously, hopefully, if you're working on feet, um, talk to your trainer and anyone else involved in your horse's care. You know, everybody cares about what's happening to your horse and their comfort level and their soundness. And especially if there's a pathology case or some lameness going on, then having the whole team on board is going to be the best chance of success of getting this horse to transition well. And I wanted to add this picture. I didn't even think it was in the slideshow and I sent it to you. Um, so this is a horse that I pulled out of shoes. He's a navicular horse and um, he loves sure foot pads. <laughs> um, I actually just have this one, the, the half physio, but um, I, I think that, I don't know, the comfort of standing to be trimmed when um, he's been shod his entire life, um, he just likes it. So I think that's something that a lot of people, a lot of healthcare providers I already know are utilizing when they're transitioning horses to barefoot because it's sort of showing the horse, showing you where the horse is most comfortable, what kind of surfaces they like, what, how they want to stand, their posture, what's allowing them to release various tension that they've held in their body. 
So I thought I'd toss that in there too. Awesome. And that's all the slides that I have. <laughs> Great. All right. Well, we have a bunch of questions to get to. So I'm going to just kind of roll through these. Um, my horse is only shod for the summer months due to thin soles and sensitivity. Do these recommendations qualify for an annual barefoot transition as well? So I always say, for example, for the diet uh, recommendations, I think that that kind of diet is good for all horses. And if there's hoof sensitivity um, due to diet issues, you can assume that there's some systemic body inflammation going on. So I think that every horse being on a forage-based mineral balanced diet diet is fantastic. Um, if your horse doesn't have issue transitioning in the winter, like if you're just putting shoes on in the summer, but you pull the shoes in the fall and winter or winter, and they seem fine, then whatever you're doing is probably working. But if you've noticed there's some sensitivity, it doesn't hurt to have hoof armor on hand. Um, yeah. So, and that kind of brings up the question of, you know, is there a better time of year to, or in the cycle of the horse to pull the shoes, if you're going to do it, like, you know, when they're coming out of competition season or something like that? Yeah, that's a really hard question. And something I've thought about a lot, because in my area, we can go from a drought in the summer to a flood, you know, everything's flooded in mud to then frozen mud, which is incredibly painful for horses with thin soles or any kind of arthritis in their joints to then snow cover where they seem like they're the soundest horse that's ever existed. So, um, you know, it's, it's hard to predict with the weather, what's going to happen. Uh, and that's why I do like having boots and pads on hand. So if they have some ouchy time, then you have something to help them. And the hoof armor, I think is a really good thing. And a lot of horses, like I said, if I change their, if I ask owners to change their diet two cycles before I pull shoes, sometimes I don't even see those, those issues with their sensitivity. Yeah. Um, somebody's waiting for surefoot boots. We are working on surefoot boot inserts. So stay tuned. Those are coming soon. Um, flex boots apparently do have fit kits. Um, and that's, uh, helpful. What do you do when a horse has two different size hooves or is club hoofed on one side? Like I, we're talking about boots here. Oh yeah. Um, so I have a lot of horses that have two different size, um, feet and I actually have to have the owner get two different size boots and that's okay. Most boots that you see are actually sold as a single boot. Um, it's very rare that I've seen for boot companies to actually sell them only as a pair because they know that they're such, you know, each foot can be so unique. So if you have to buy two different size boots, that's fine. In terms of club feet, there's a lot of difficulty in fitting a club foot and having the boot stay on. I will say that my, the pony that I lease has very upright feet and he does great in the flex boots. I know people have used equine fusions on uh, more clubby upright feet. And again, you know, this would be a question for Sarah Hunt because she fits so many, that's like her job. It's like go and fit. Maybe we need to have her for our webinar. <laughs> yeah, she'd be great. Um, yeah, and I, I want to get uh, her on the podcast too because there's questions that I even have where I'm like, I don't know. I tell the owner, yeah, try it. If it falls off, we'll figure something else out, you know? Um, but yeah, club feet are definitely tricky. Okay. Uh, what are your thoughts on boots and pads versus composite shoes for therapeutic and rehabilitative protection? Yeah. Um, so I like boots and pads because you can take them off, treat the frog for thrush, uh, notice any changes in the hoof, um, you know, make adjustments to the trim as needed. Uh, but I have used composite shoes. I do use composite shoes. Uh, I use glue on composites, which can get a lot more like exponentially more expensive than boots and pads. So when I'm 
when, if there's a horse that has a lot of pathology and I really think they need 24 seven protection, and I'm really worried that they aren't going to be able to get that in their living environment, then I will do composite shoes or casting. Um, I think composites are great. Um, I have seen, I think anything that we, I have to be careful how I say this, but I, I do think that anything we permanently apply to the foot has a negative, like, you know, if, if we're gluing to the hoof wall, um, and you don't do really meticulous prep, you can have some, some damage to the hoof wall. Um, if you prep really well, I have seen that mitigated. I have seen horses that are more comfortable in composites, but then when I go to pull them, they seem like their transition period is almost worse. Like it's harder for them to adjust because they've had, um, the composites I use have solar support. So they're like, so, so kept in tightly and, and, um, protected that it's almost harder for them when they're coming out. So it's, it's, you know, I, I utilize composites and I think they're great. And I think a lot of people who are using them a lot more than I am, um, probably have no issue. And so <laughs> maybe I wasn't the best one to answer that question, but I think there's, there's no wrong answer there. I think composite okay. shoes are good. And Daisy Dickey's like, done a webinar on composite shoes. So that might yeah. be a good place to go. Um, do you take all four shoes off or backs and then fronts first? In other words, when you're transitioning, do you do all four feet at once? Uh, yeah, I do. I have pulled all four shoes at once. Um, but I do have a lot of owners who are very concerned about pulling, um, back feet or back shoes. And I have had owners talk to me call me and say, I'm pulling hind shoes this week, but in six months, I want you to come pull fronts. Like they're having their farrier take their horse barefoot behind. And then they want me to come out in six months when they feel like the horse is adjusted and take the fronts off, which I think is fine too. Um, I, I often don't see as much sensitivity with hind feet. And when I do, it's usually because the horse has, um, issues higher up. So like, you know, SI pelvis, stifle, hawk, whatever. Um, and they have, as a result of that postural issues, which then cause negative plantar angles, which really stresses those tendons down the back of the distal limb and the hind limb. So, um, usually it's not an actual hoof sensitivity, but more other issues that are causing them to struggle, um, with their hind feet. So I, I probably should care more about pulling all four shoes at once, but I haven't really seen a lot of horses have issue with it. Uh, and, and you've talked about the equine fusion boots, right? Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I've seen those be really good for horses, especially if they're tougher to fit in like a, a more tight fit riding boot because they encompass the whole like hoof capsule and heel bulb. Um, and they seem to stay on well and horses seem to like them. I, yeah, I don't have as much experience with them personally. Okay. Uh, what boots do you recommend for a healthy hoof horse, uh, a, a healthy hooved horse for, in other words, a riding boot? What are your favorite riding boots? Uh, yeah, I don't know if this was before we did the ones where I mentioned some different brands, um, but I would say my three go-to brands right now, and I don't, this is not knocking any other brands. I just, these are the ones that I've used the most. Um, the uh, Easy Care Glove Soft, um, heat fit, uh, scoop boots with some kind of pad in there. Um, just because I find the scoop boots are really flexible and they're, they're kind of thinner in the sole level of it. So I like the extra padding, um, or the flex boots are the three that I'm using a lot, but there are so many good, I mean, like we mentioned, equine fusions, renegades. Um, I know there, 
a million other brands too. And these are all in the States. I know there's even more brands in Europe that we don't oh, even wow. have for here. Okay. So, um, uh, this person saying that they know that adding a boot can, can add toe length and change breakover, making a bigger lever and can stress other parts of the caudal hoof, just a ligament. Um, so what do you think about the idea that when you add these boots for riding, you're actually making a longer toe? Yeah. So I do worry about that. And, um, I, on almost every pair of boots that I use, I will grind breakover into the actual boot with a grinder. Um, and obviously this makes them harder to sell if you need to, and it would void any warranty you had with them. Um, but for the easy boot glove softs, I'll heat fit them. So if you heat fit the toe and pull it onto the foot, you can actually get that toe to come out over where the sole ends. So it kind of bulges out and then you can grind break over into the bottom. Um, I'll grind break over into the bottom of the scoop boots and the flex boots have, I wish I had a picture of that. Cause I have one. They have really, really good breakover. The breakover is brought back to basically where I would imagine the projection of P3 is down in like a healthy hoof capsule. Um, down to the ground. It's like right, almost right under where P3 would end. And that's just naturally what they put into the boot. Um, but height does add leverage. So I will often, in almost every case, if the owner is going to be using those boots for riding, I'll add in some breakover myself. Okay. Let me see. There's a, uh, um, how, how are you able to feel comfortable addressing dietary changes as a hoof care practitioner. When I bring it up, often people are resistant to the idea or amongst professionals, I've seen people make comments along with the lines of, I keep it below the knee and stay in my lane and leave the rest to the vets. But like you said, diet is key to successful barefoot transition. Uh, I really wanna talk to my clients about it, but I made to feel like I'm crossing a line. Yeah. Um, so I'm super fortunate that I have had very little pushback about talking to owners about diet. Um, and I, I think one of the things that I usually ask the owners what they're feeding their horse. And then I watch the horse move and I ask the owner if the horse has any hoof sensitivity. And I mention, oh, you know, like sugar and starch or, you know, mineral imbalance can really cause hoof sensitivity. You might see this horse become comfortable with just a few inexpensive diet changes. Like you'll actually save money and it'll be easy to try. I mean, it's no harm, no foul, right? Um, a lot of times they do save a lot of money by removing grain and just adding in minerals. Um, so I'll often pick up the foot and if I see white line issues, if I see thrush, I'll say, you know, copper and zinc is probably competing with iron here. Um, you know, you're probably not getting this hoof isn't getting all the nutrients it needs. And that's why we have this little bit of separation. That's why we have this chipping wall. And so if I'm pointing out the things that I'm actually seeing in the hoof and then saying, this could be an easy change. Like you could just try this for a few months. And if you don't notice any improvement, then what's the harm. Um, but I honestly, I don't think I've ever had anybody, well, Nobody that I work with that has told me to, um, that has not wanted me to talk about diet. If I mention it, um, I'm also really, really fortunate. I'm, I'm good friends with my vets and my vets are also on board with this kind of diet. So a lot of times if I mention like, Oh, Hey, are you, have you looked at this supplement? They'll say like, Oh yeah, Dr. So-and-so actually told me about that too. And I was like, Oh, good on him. I'm glad he said that. Um, so I, they're getting it from more than just me. Um, but 
you know, my website does say that I, I talk about diet changes. And when people contact me, I say, Hey, one of the things that I do, if you're coming on to my books is I'm going to be talking to you about diet. And if that's something that you're not interested in, we might not be a good fit because I'm going to probably always bring up diet. <laughs> All right. Well, um, just to share your screen, that was fabulous. Uh, uh, you know, just a, a wealth of information. I think I, I have to figure out why I blanked out twice there. That was a little Sorry. <laughs> something going on with my internet, but, um, that was really awesome, Alicia. And it's, and it's always a pleasure to have you and your wealth of knowledge and, um, just, you know, it's so great to, to be able to talk with people that recognize there's no one size fits all that we really have to be looking at the individual, but here are some guidelines and some things to consider and to look at. And, um, that the bottom line is we're all trying to make these horses healthier and happier. Right. Exactly. Everybody's on the same team. We're all working towards the same goals. It's just, yep. we're getting there differently. And to that end, I'm now going to draw the winner of this week's contest. Drum roll, please. Got a name and I have one. Rose Gillies. Oh, that's awesome. Rose, you are the, can you see that? You are the oh, yeah. winner of this week's contest. We'll be in touch. Uh, that's awesome. And um, just remember that next week is the grand prize drawing. So you have to enter all five. We'll let you know how to, how to check that out. Um, Alicia, thank you so much. Maybe we'll have you come back again in a few months and talk about that other topic. That'd be great. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sounds good. Thank you so much for having me. This is a lot of fun and I always enjoy talking to you. So thank yeah, you again. Too. Take care. Bye everybody. Have a good day. <laughs>